Welcome to Maps and Meta-Analysis. Looking at California cities. Hi, I'm Darvesh Borhe. And I'm Justin Hurst. And this is Facts and Folsom. A Meta-Analysis. Hello, and welcome back oh, to uh, Facts and Folsom, um, which is the name of the season and the entire podcast as a whole is uh, maps and meta-analysis yeah. looking at California cities. Um, so we had a little bit of a hiatus. Um, unfortunately, neither of us were able to actually go to the city council meeting this week, and then last week I was pretty sick. Um, so we're gonna kind of do a bit of an amalgamation this week. Um, Darvesh, do you wanna explain more? Yeah, so um, so the, last week we were planning to talk about uh, the budget process. So mm-hmm. basically, you know, what the timeline is, what are the different key steps, who is involved in each step. Um, and this week we wanted to go over, obviously, the, the city council agenda. So we're going to kind of blend the two together. So we're going to spend the first few minutes just going over the um, city council agenda, kind of commenting on the different agenda items, you know, basically seeing maybe we saw the um, buildup to that item, um, or we might just sort of speculate and kind of, you know, give our like first thoughts about why, you know, what are the implications of that item, and uh, just kind of any thoughts that we have. Uh, and then we're going to spend the uh, last few minutes actually going over the going over last year's budget which i you know as a layperson basically i annotated um and you know asked kind of wrote down a bunch of questions of you know why does this look this way what does this term mean and things like that and since justin has a ton of budget experience mm-hmm. uh, uh he also did like a bit of research too like on top of it just mm-hmm. to see what Folsom specific process was um so we're going to kind of go through that just so you get a more concrete example so it's not just like mm-hmm. high level here's how the budget process work but we can actually say Last year, this is actually how it was applied and what you can take away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, with that, uh, do, do you want to just start with the city council agenda? Yeah, we'll go through it. Um, and again, you know, we weren't actually physically there, so we'll avoid speculating and we'll just kind of talk maybe high level overview on that. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just ask you the questions since I'll be doing a lot of talking later in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, as usual, it started with um, scheduled presentations this week mm-hmm. in city council. The first one being a proclamation of the, from the mayor. Um, proclaiming the month of March as the American Red Cross month in the city of Folsom. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that is kind of just like a, is this the chosen fundraising for the city? Like, what, what do you think that really means? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Cause I guess you could, you could easily have just called it like, you know, giving back month or, mm-hmm. you know, some, something more, uh, I don't want to say nebulous, but like more of a catch all. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe, maybe, um, Maybe Ameri- the American Red Cross like sponsors a lot of things like mm-hmm. related to the city council or the chamber of commerce or mm-hmm. um, maybe different events like you know maybe the Folsom Review or something. So yeah. maybe this is uh, kind of a way of uh, recognizing and appreciating that contribution. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like an intangible way to say things mm-hmm. rather than just like a you know direct financial back and forth or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, it also might be relevant this year, given you know all the recent storms and things. Mm. Um, you know, it might be like especially pertinent to maybe not necessarily residents of Folsom, but residents kind of in and around the Sacramento area. So, yeah, that, that, that's kind of my, those are the two things that came to my mind. But is there anything you have in mind? No, I mean I feel like that makes the most sense to me. Cool. cool. Um, the second item, um, and this is going to definitely be relevant to later in the podcast today, but. Um, the city manager presented the fiscal year 22-23 second quarter financial report, mm-hmm. which for context, um, we're in, at the end of the third quarter right now. Mm-hmm. So this would be the final numbers for the, what the second quarter was um, a couple months ago mm-hmm. when it ended. 
Um, and I'm guessing that this would provide some context to some of the budget discussions we've had, particularly in previous city council meetings we've covered. Um, do you think that there would be anything surprising in there? I know we didn't really get a chance to see it. I know um, one thing that was mentioned about the city manager was that mm -hmm. they are um, forecasting an increasing uh, deficit as mm -hmm. the years go on. So I'd be curious to know how that materializes in a in the quarterly data. So, so if you had to guess, you would say this is maybe a little bit bleaker. Uh, it, it could be, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, from what it seemed, uh, the deficit was pretty negligible, you know, this year. But mm -hmm. over the next few years, it would kind of get, get increasingly worse. Okay. So, so perhaps the, you know, maybe the variance on the data is like a bit too much to mm -hmm. confidently say anything. Um, but even if it was sort of break even or less than expectations, I, I think mm -hmm. that could be a bit dire. Because if you're saying that, like, okay, it's it's only it, it's supposed mm -hmm. to get worse from here, and the, the data is already not very good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that that could be kind of a troubling sign. Um, it, and I imagine that would have a lot of downstream consequences mm -hmm. on the different budget discussions. Like I, I think yeah. I think last time we spoke about um, the debate between CSO officers and things like that. And mm -hmm. you know, one of the big contentions there was, do do we use things allocated for one-time purchases, you know, like emergency funds and mm -hmm. things like that, for something which is clearly an ongoing expense, right? Like the, the whole idea of hiring a police officer or like a CSO officer um, is to keep them for a long period of time so that they have, you know, like a lasting impact on mm -hmm. the community. So I imagine a lot of those discussions might come up again. Um, but yeah, is there anything that you feel like it could impact? No, but I, while you were mentioning that, I was thinking ahead to the um, third quarter's budget. Um, and I feel like given that, one thing we'll talk about a little bit later, but also we've mentioned before, one of the biggest fundraising um, sources for the city is the sales tax revenue. Mm -hmm. And given that we've had a lot of severe storms in quarter three, mm -hmm. um, do you feel like that would be enough to tangibly affect the sales tax revenue? Like, do you think it would suppress shopping? That, that's actually a really good point because mm -hmm. uh, all of the, um, pr pretty much all of the malls and shopping areas in Folsom mm -hmm. are outdoors. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that, that is a really good point that mm -hmm. they're much more uh, acutely affected by storms and things like that. Where, mm -hmm. for example, I went to um, the uh, Roseville, like Galleria, mm -hmm. and that's mostly indoors. And I didn't see, I didn't really see any change there. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that that could be it. But I think it would also be useful to look at like previous year's data mm -hmm. because um, maybe years with the same amount of you know, kind of yearly rainfall or quarterly mm -hmm. rainfall, you know, correlate with the same amount of shopping and things like that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that, that could be a huge fluctuation year over year. But mm -hmm. from the figures I remember from previous year's budget, uh, it didn't seem like the trend was, um, you know, that, uh, it, it didn't seem to dip that much during like, the yeah. wet season. Mm -hmm. So maybe it doesn't have too much of an effect. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you feel like it would have a material effect, or do you, do you think there's other externalities that would play into this? Um, well, I feel like with your, you know, like groceries, that's not going to change. Yeah. Um, with maybe more your, like, outlet malls, um, mm -hmm. luxury goods, um, I could see that maybe being a fluctuation, especially mm -hmm. given the severity of the storms this winter. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, um, I don't feel like it would be super significant in the context of a, you know, $100 million budget. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think the swing would be huge, but I'd be interested to see if it was, like, noticeable. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I could also imagine like each end of the spectrum being relatively unfazed. Like if you're gonna buy a car, right? You don't really care if it's like raining or not. Like you yeah. know, especially if you need the car for commuting mm -hmm. or whatever else. And then same thing with like everyday essentials. Like you know, you need milk, eggs, yeah. etc. Exactly. So like you're gonna buy those regardless. Mm -hmm. um, 
Um, the next presentation on the agenda was um, on the Folsom Boulevard Pedestrian and Bicycle Overcrossing Feasibility Studies. Ooh, okay. Do you know anything about this, given that you're really into transit? I I am not, but uh, does it list okay. like where it was going to be? or? Okay. It just says on the Folsom Boulevard. Um, yeah, on Folsom Boulevard. So somewhere on that on that road. Interesting. I, mm -hmm. I think that's, I mean, that sounds like a great idea overall. If I had to guess, I would say it would be near the outlet mall, just because I would imagine they want to drive up more foot traffic there. Mm -hmm. So, because uh, Folsom Boulevard goes down to, oh, like where the trails and stuff are? There's yeah, like the basically, trails, um, and then go up the hill to the outlet malls. Is that kind of where you're thinking? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm imagining basically fair game anywhere from like the auto mall all the way over to like the American River. Oh, interesting, yeah. interesting. I guess, I, I'm not so sure the auto mall to that strip would be as useful. I mean, I, I was, my mom and I were actually just at the outlet malls today. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so, like definitely some pedestrian mm -hmm. improvements that they could make, but that's like within the mall. I'm not sure if that's within the jurisdiction of the city though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I would be, I'd be curious for it. I'm, I'm personally of the opinion that um, for like a lot of transit, you should generally work from like, mm. you know, bottom to top, meaning like making things more walkable yeah. than bikeable, mm -hmm. you know, then safer for, that then like transit like trains and stuff like that yeah because generally you know walking walkability has a much more immediate benefit and you know it's like it's a much like tighter loop that you mm -hmm. can kind of couple um well on in many factors i mean there's the personal health benefit mm -hmm. there's obviously lessening a carbon footprint yeah there's um you know less congestion and traffic mm -hmm. so i mean there's not a lot of downsides other than just being time consuming yeah well and I, weather dependent i would say it's a big thing too yeah but, but i think a, a point you brought up uh like a couple of uh, episodes ago was mm -hmm. this idea of being more like family friendly. Mm -hmm. So, because I, I noticed that a lot of the Folsom outlets, um, you know, it, it's fine if you're just kind of walking by yourself or with your mm -hmm. friends or something, but it, it is, there's some places which are very unsuited for like families. Mm -hmm. So if you have like a stroller or something, mm -hmm. it's quite awkward to get, you know, on and off the sidewalk, you know, after you've parked your car and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, just some of the ways that kind of cars enter into the main uh, driving space isn't mm -hmm. really uh, like, it doesn't feel safe for example like you know the, there's a kind of like this crosswalk area and then the speed bumps are like right next to the crosswalk mm -hmm. rather than being like way before like because yeah. ideally you want the cars to slow down like not immediately by the time mm -hmm. they get to the pedestrians yeah so um, I, I feel like that could be an interesting angle mm -hmm. to tackle a lot of uh, pedestrian safety because um, right, if you make it safer for kids if you make it safer for families mm -hmm. um, that could increase a lot of sales tax in terms of like getting a whole family to go out or not because yeah. typically you know it's like if you know if you have one limiting thing in your family for to, to go out then mm -hmm. um you know you're just not gonna go yeah uh, you're, you're not gonna be like all right like you have to like your four-year-old kid be like all right sucks to suck like <laughs> stay at home um yeah so yeah i think that could be an interesting lens but mm -hmm. i would love to know more about this i, I might um you know um uh, try to follow up on this during the next city council meeting yeah, I mean, I think the fact that they mentioned it's a feasibility study makes me think that they might come back and present more to you. Yeah. I, I don't understand how it could be infeasible, though. Yeah, well, I guess it really just depends on where the financing... Oh, I see, time, I see. Oh, construction, like gotcha. That, that kind of gotcha, not the actual logistics of whether or not to make it, but sort of yeah. where the... Whether it's money, worth it. Yeah, yeah, where, yeah. whether it's worth it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. After that, um, that was the last presentation, so um, next was the consent calendar. Glancing over it, it doesn't seem like there's anything really abnormal in that. Um, so my guess is everything would have passed. 
Um, and then after that was a public hearing on the Folsom Ranch Apartments development. Um, there's an agreement that was amended, um, very, very rare wire lab actually, mm -hmm. um, basically approving tier one development agreement between the city of Folsom and Eagle Commercial Properties. Um, I guess there's a specific plan that was addressed. Um, kind of hard to speculate on that one without really knowing anything about it or having been there. Um, I mean, apartments, I guess we could generally talk about that. Do you think building more apartments in primarily single family home residential areas is a good idea? Like mixed family housing? Oh, but it said commercial, right? So do you think this is more related to like businesses and stuff? So, so maybe the first oh, phase yeah. of like residential development was done and now they're talking with commercial developers to say, here's the timeline, you know, who are the businesses that are going to move in? You know, what is the permitting process that they need to go through maybe? Well, I think um, Eagle Commercial Properties is the name of the business, so I don't oh, necessarily I see. know that it's commercial apartments. Got it. Okay, okay. Yeah. I see, I see. Mm -hmm. Oh, so I, well, I, I guess I, I'm making the distinction between commercial as in like uh, businesses mm -hmm. and stuff versus like residential. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I guess we should maybe look into Eagle Commercial. Um, yeah, that being said, this is, um, I, I looked at the site earlier when I was preparing for today. And it is right across the street from the new hospital. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so I guess it could be either, to mm -hmm. be honest. Um, it could be, um, I mean, it could be like a, um, like a nursing facility or something, mm -hmm. right? Maybe something that's like tied to the hospital. So they, they want to build one yeah. you know, before they build the other sort of thing. Um, I don't really know, but I, I guess to your previous question, I, I generally think more housing is better because mm -hmm. it's a uh, it's one of those like supply demand things where like you can't really move the supply once it's mm -hmm. built um i mean there's all kinds of tricks you can do to like take supply you know on and off the market but generally i think it's better for consumers the more housing options that are available yeah. in a given area mm -hmm. um so i'm personally for it i mean understandably you know i, I think residents might have qualms against it but um why do you think it'll affect housing values? Yeah, I, I think the idea is that, uh, well, either that or I think there's probably stereotypes of like people who live in apartments that tend to be more transient. Mm -hmm. And so some people might want to say, hey, you know, I, I want families that are, you know, that are want to set up roots mm -hmm. in my community so that they're here longer and, you know, I know them uh, on a more kind of long-term basis, which I'm, I'm very sympathetic to. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, though, if... If this is indeed geared towards um, facilitating hospital staff mm -hmm. to live in these like apartments. Mm -hmm. I think it makes a lot more sense, um, particularly before they're able to place roots, especially if they're like, say, they're doing the residency. Mm -hmm. um, but then also, like, on the potential housing values concern, mm -hmm. um, I feel like the addition of a hospital right there would probably more than mitigate, you know, having apartments nearby. Yeah. I guess I don't really, um, I, I never fully understood the NIMPY arguments for housing pricing because it seems like on the one hand, they, a, a part, you know, part of the argument is, um, you know, I don't want things being built that will uh, depreciate the value of my home. Mm -hmm. But if you think about apartments on like a square foot basis, um, you know, per area of land, per like unit area of land that they use, they will probably be bringing, bring in way more like money. So in theory, it should increase the value mm -hmm. of your property, right? Because if, if stuff around you is like yeah. valued higher in a denser mm -hmm. way, then you know that that makes like your stuff pretty valuable as well. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I don't know, it seems like one of those situations where you kind of want to have your cake and eat it too. Um, well, I mean, without going on too big of a tangent, because yeah. this could be a whole episode, mm -hmm. um, there are some things that affect housing prices that really don't make a lot of financial sense, like, mm -hmm. for example, the racial demographics of your city mm -hmm. will affect point. housing prices, yes. and that's a huge conversation. It's mm -hmm. a lot about equity that we talk about, but um, there there's definitely seems to be a mix between practical and surface level. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm personally of the opinion that, like, higher housing supply, lower cost, mm -hmm. uh, kind of indirectly solves a lot of the equity issues mm -hmm. rather than like a case by case, um, you know, sort of saying like, oh, this person deserves a cheaper mortgage or that person yeah. deserves a cheaper mortgage. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're never gonna win that battle, mm -hmm. but if you can make, um, if you can make like a, a ladder that yeah. people can climb mm -hmm. where they can you know, rent very cheaply, save up enough money for a down payment, mm -hmm. buy a smaller home, build equity in the smaller home, move mm -hmm. to a bigger home. So I, I think that ladder is missing. There's kind of like yeah. maybe the, the, the mm -hmm. top and the bottom or only the top. And the people who are at the top can sort of move along the rungs of the ladder. Mm -hmm. But then the people at the bottom have like no way of getting to that the yeah. intermediate yeah. rung, basically. But anyway, I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that for now. Okay. Um, that was the last of the main agenda items. I mm -hmm. see here at the very end on the mm -hmm. agenda, there was a joint meeting that was convened. Mm -hmm. um, the joint meeting being between the City Council, Folsom Redevelopment Successor Agency, Folsom Public Financing Authority, mm. Folsom Ranch Financing Authority, and South of 50 Parking Authority. Um, there was not really a whole lot that was listed there, um, other than that they approved their meeting minutes um, and a consent calendar. Um, interesting group. I mean, I think the focus seems very much aligned with that discussion we just had about, you know, building and developing that area. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, um, that was pretty much it for the week um, mm -hmm. on the city agenda. So, um, if I may, I'm going to transition into some of the research I did for the budget process. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to go ahead and start by saying I am not going to go through this super fine details. Like, there was a 500 plus um, budget document for FY22-23 that mm -hmm. I went through for this, and that is just way too much information for a podcast, so I'm going to be very high level. Mm -hmm. um, I think getting into more detail in the future is possible, especially if we bring in a budgeting expert to get some more specific questions answered. Mm -hmm. um, but I, hopefully I can demystify some of um, the facts about the city budget and where Folsom is um, in comparison to some other cities. Yeah, and, and this might be like a good, uh, a good episode mm -hmm. to reference uh, when we go through like the budget process for maybe more specific things so for example like we, we might point people and say like hey you know we're talking about the budget process for i don't know the you know different water projects and things like that mm -hmm. um and so you know if you want like a high level overview like go to this episode we're going to get into the weeds about you know this specific thing mm -hmm. or something like that so uh keep that in mind we might like point people between episodes i mean generally we want to keep it like isolated so we will obviously like recapitulate anything that you know you know requires um some sort of just revisit to fresh mm -hmm. people's minds. Um, but yeah, this could be like a good reference episode in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and take it away. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so I am also gonna just really quickly mention, uh, in a couple episodes ago, um, I mentioned that it would be great if the city had an org chart. I will say there was a good org chart that was found within this oh, nice. budget awesome. plan, but um, perhaps the fact that I couldn't find it except by going into a 500 page document speaks mm. to maybe the city might want to make it a little more accessible. Yeah. Um, also maybe flush it out a little bit more because it was a very high level overview, but mm. it does exist. So I want to give the city credit on that mm. and I want to re-correct mm. what I was saying before. That could also be a cool thing to add to mm -hmm. like, um, uh, like Folsom maps potentially of like, mm -hmm. if you had, um, I feel like this district based approach, like if you hover over it and then it shows like where on the org chart, 
like something is. I don't oh, know, like, like you mean like the different departments? Um, yeah, potentially. Like, okay. uh, if, for example, if you had like certain overlays for, um, I don't know, like the planning commission and like all the different projects going on, you oh, know, like highlight the different projects, and yeah. then you could be like, okay, the person in charge is here. Here's where they are on the org chart. Here's like who they're. Really oh, like their office. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Because yeah, I think that would be, give people a better idea of like, oh, this is the project that I care about. I want to know who to contact. Mm -hmm. So instead of going through this like five hundred page document, you could just be yeah. like, oh, okay, this person, you know, developed it. Well, it's also a little bit nebulous, you know, when we talk about these different city departments and city leaders, and it's like, if you don't really know where they do their business, and it's kind of like, they're, they're somewhere. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't think it's their intention to be, like, super obfuscated from the public, no, right? It's, yeah. it's just, it's probably one of the things where, you know, the, the, that interface layer is, like, hard. Like, unless you have someone yeah. dedicated and working on that, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, it's not really beneficial to any one person in the city government, mm -hmm. um, but it is beneficial, like, in the aggregate. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and start with the general size of the budget. Um, in previous episodes, we've mentioned it's around $100 million. Um, the overall value of the budget, including all the different funds and sub-funds that we'll get into later, is um, around a total of an operating budget around $144 million. Gotcha. General fund being about $100 million, and mm -hmm. there's a couple of other significant funds that are like, for example, the enterprise fund is something we'll talk about. Oh, and that's almost the rest of the $40 million with a couple of other smaller funds. Got it. Um, for comparison, um, the city of Davis um, has an operating budget of around $228 million during the same fiscal year, and the city of Sacramento, being the capital and much bigger city, um, has an operating budget of around $1.4 billion. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, Folsom's definitely um, on the leaner side compared to those cities, mm -hmm. um, but um, for good reason in comparison to Sacramento. Gotcha. Um, the budget timeline is something that I think um, should be discussed, too. So, the budget for... The next fiscal year um, is required to be presented to the city council, um, and this is direct quotes, on or before the first working day of the last month of each fiscal year. So what that really means is it needs to be like presented before probably the first Monday of June. Okay, got it. Yeah, which historically, um, this previous fiscal year, mm -hmm. the 22-23 that we're talking about and we're in right now, that was presented May 10th, so they definitely were ahead of the game on that. Um, then the city council will usually adopt the annual budget um, submitted by the city manager prior to the beginning of the next fiscal year because you needed a budget to operate. Yeah. Um, and then um, any appropriations that lapse at the year end um, basically just roll over into the general fund um, unless they were for like capital projects which are multi-year and then they were already anticipating that. Mm -hmm. Um, the city manager additionally can make additional adjustments to the departmental budgets um, since they have a lot more authority. And as we mentioned before in the governance um, podcast episode, mm -hmm. um, they have a lot of discretion when it comes to the budget making process. Mm -hmm. So to give you a simplified, complete timeline mm -hmm. of the city of Folsom's budget process, okay. um, I'm just going to take you from June to July because basically after July you're just operating on a new budget with periodic quarterly updates like we saw in this week's agenda. Got it. Okay. Um, January begins with the budget discussion with city council. Mm -hmm. So very preliminary. Um, departments will begin to work with um, their preliminary budget documents um, to get a sense of what they need to be planning for for the upcoming year. Then February comes around and the revenue forecasts um, are generally offered as the city gets a better sense of what the sales tax revenue is and the property, property tax revenue. Um, operating budgets are then due to the management and budget office, um, sometimes it's abbreviated as M, M and B, which will M and B, you got it. M and B, yeah. If you see that in the presentations, that's usually what it's referring to. Mm -hmm. And the city manager will begin their review of all these different documents. Gotcha. And just to um, yeah. ask a question real quick. Mm -hmm. So, 
is uh, does the document say how the forecasting is done? Is it generally just taking um, like a trend line from like the last three years and like extrapolating it? Because I imagine with something like you know housing prices, um, you know that, that's like a very inductive process, mm -hmm. right? If, if housing prices have increased, do you do you kind of use the current year's prices and just you know say that that's going to stay the same? Do you actually project an increase in the mm -hmm. property values of the homes? Like how, how does that work? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, the short, simple answer is, I'm pretty sure that's the mechanism that they use. Okay. Um, oh, basically, which one? The just keeping it the same or, or projecting the increase? Projecting based on previous years and trends it, and okay. how far away your actuals are from your previous projections. Mm -hmm. um, the more other nuanced part of that answer is, um, I didn't really read into that part of the document that much and I don't think they really spelled out the process for how they estimate, estimate that. Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm fairly confident that's probably how they do it. Gotcha. Okay. So then we move on to March, um, and in March, which we're in right now, the operating budget is being prepared, mm -hmm. um, so that in April, the budget can be revised and updated according to some of the actual data that's coming in, especially mm -hmm. as quarter three is really finishing up. And then in May, that budget is then presented to the city council um, in more of an official capacity, so that in June, the city council will approve the budget, mm -hmm. and which is then implemented by the management budget office because June is the last month of the fiscal year, so they need to pass it then. Mm. And then from July on for the rest of the year, um, the city manager will present the quarterly budget reports to the city council, such as what happened this week. Um, so some revenue figures for the city of Folsom. Um, as mentioned before, property and sales taxes are the largest revenue source. Um, for some context, I think it was about 65% of the fiscal year revenue was projected to be from those two sources. Mm. Um, with property taxes um, being higher than sales tax because, as we'll talk about in the next segment, um, there was a dip in sales tax because of COVID. Um, the next biggest individual source of revenue uh, is for service fee charges. Um, so an example of this is like ambulance fees in the city, and that counts for about 16% of projected revenue. Wow. <laughs> but, okay, I, I guess yeah. you want to give one example of the service fee. I imagine there's like a, a number of different service fees. Like, yeah. Um, would business licenses and things like that be counted towards that? Like if I set up like yeah. a law office, like do you have to pay like the city to- I would think so, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. gotcha. Um, another similarly large source um, is intergovernmental revenue. So for mm. this one, think about like, if the state gives the city money or right. if the federal government offered to grant. Mm. So um, that's the same percentage, about 16% of the revenue for this okay. current fiscal year. Interesting. Or at least projected, we'll see what the actual numbers are mm. as the fiscal year comes to a close. And then the last, um, the last like one to two percent of the revenue, is just considered miscellaneous funds, which I'm not entirely sure what that was. I didn't see it broken down in the document anywhere. But being such a small portion, I can't imagine it's anything significant. Mm. But and so, uh, how much? Uh, what, like what percentage? Say what? One to two. I think it was oh, about okay. one point five in court in the document I went over. Gotcha. So, um, do you think this could just be like surpluses from the difference between what is? The actual revenue versus forecasted or something like that or i think interest for example on okay. some of the assets that the city might have oh right because they might have like bonds for like the you know or the, there's like a melarus bonds and things like that for building schools and stuff like sure, that Sure, i don't know anything about that but oh no because yeah. i think my parents told me this basically if mm -hmm. you um if you buy a house within mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll correct this in the next episode if i'm wrong so i'll, mm -hmm. I'll like make a note to, to look at this but I remember hearing from my parents that 
if you basically buy a house in a school district where there's like a new school that's been built in the mm -hmm. last like 20 years. So even if you're in like year 19 and the school was built like, you know, 19 years ago, like you're mm -hmm. still kind of rolled into this. Basically in your um, like mortgage or property tax or something, mm -hmm. there is like an extra kind of surplus fee that goes towards the, um, to pay down the construction costs of the school. I, I think that the idea being that, you know, if it's a new school, there's like a lot of upfront costs. Those costs are amortized over mm. decades. Yeah, over decades of the people who live in that school district who presumably send their kids to mm -hmm. school there. Okay. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe that's like part of it too. Is like you know you hold those bonds to maturity. Some of them have interest, some of them don't. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I don't know enough to say either way on that. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So um, I'll just give a couple of uh, highlights on some of the expenditure items. Mm -hmm. um, Highlights being, in my definition here, um, big budget items that are above $10 million per line item. Mm -hmm. um, and there's actually not that many. There's a lot yeah. of little costs um, in the city budget that are broken down, like considering like city employee salaries, right. department funds. And there's really only two of the funds that even meet this threshold. Mm -hmm. So one of them being the general administrative gen general fund, which is really administrative in nature. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, the biggest two items were the fire department which is about $25 million of funding for the year. Mm -hmm. um, and the police department, which is about 27, which that number may have increased given some of the recent city council decisions. Mm -hmm. And then the third one that meets this in the general fund is Parks and Rec, which mm -hmm. is about $16 million of funding. Interesting, wow, I, I didn't expect that to be as large as it is. Well, do, I mean, do, do, you know, um, do you think mm -hmm. stuff like the, the zoo, you know, counts yes. towards it? Okay, mm -hmm. okay, that, 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 that makes sense. Now. And all but, the bike trails. Got it. Um, but the library wouldn't? Because the library is like its own... Department. The library was, I think, um, I did see it in there, but I think it was cheaper. Okay, okay, yeah. gotcha. But, but it's like a separate line item. I'm it's not in the Parks and Rec. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then um, the other big fund category that qualified here was Enterprise Funds, which mm -hmm. I'll define given um, one of the questions Arvish had in the next presentation. Um, two items in this. Um, solid Waste was about $22 million. Wow. Um, and then water was twelve million. So those are those are the five really big expenditures that the city of Folsom has. Mm -hmm. Everything else is well below ten million dollars. I think the next biggest thing was like eight. Mm -hmm. um, so like that alone accounts for like a big chunk of the budget right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the only other thing that I have to say based on the budget report is um, I think they did a really great job, and I appreciate of packing all this information in with explicit data tables showing where all the funding was going. Um, charts break that down, make it more accessible. But I think um, uh, in future years, it'd be great if they also define some of the terms because um, I do have some budget experience, um, but I had to look a lot of stuff up to make sure that I knew what I was reading. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that would just be my last critique. And other than that, mm -hmm. I feel like that's a good overview of the city of Folsom's budget. Mm -hmm. um, and so now we can go through the rest of the presentation that you wanted to talk about. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh, just a reminder, like this is, the, the idea basically is to um, make this a bit more uh, concrete. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have last year's budget, right? So so like we said, like the, the budget is still being adopted and kind of, mm -hmm. um, finalized for this upcoming year. So we don't have um, mm -hmm. an exact accounting for what this upcoming year is going to look like. But since we have a idea of what last year is going to look like and, um, you know, presumably we'll get the quarterly updates, we can kind of use that to get a better understanding of what's mm -hmm. going on. Uh, and so... Yeah, basically, I just went through the, the slides. Um, what I'll, were the slides for? Uh, so the slides were for titled uh, City Manager's Proposed Fiscal Year 2022-23 Operating and Capital Budgets. 
City Council presentation May 10th, 2022. So this would be the um, kind of the beginning of that budget process that we mentioned uh, earlier. So of the city adoption. Of, of the city adoption, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the numbers are there. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. Uh, and so yeah, th this, this gives us a, a pretty good idea of how the process this year would start, mm. right? Um, so I think one of the questions I had uh, was, well, actually, I, I made a note of it. They actually paid for some geographic information system contract staffing. So I was just kind of curious whether they would have stuff for Folsom Maps. So maybe, maybe they have a, you know, a ton of this data just lying around, but it's not really being utilized in a specific mm -hmm. way, or maybe it is being utilized for something and they're just willing to let us use it for our purposes yeah. too. Mm -hmm. um, um, oh yeah, there was a line item in the general fund appropriations called debt service. And I, I guess I was just kind of curious what sort of debt instruments a city government might use. Um, so I know there's things like muni bonds and, and things like that, mm -hmm. but I'm not really familiar with this process. I, I'm kind of curious if you have some experience or have some ideas of, of what kind of things they might be. Well, I would say bonds is the big thing. Okay. Um, probably your only big thing that I'm familiar mm -hmm. with. Um, and then that debt service itself is just really paying the interest um, and regular payments of principal that the city decides they want to pay it off. So gotcha. um, that's largely what that fund's referring to. Got it. And so my understanding though is like uh, for some bonds, the, um, you know, it's paid back only at the end of its maturity term. And so is the idea here that you're, you're kind of putting it aside little by little into a fund such that when the bond reaches maturity, like that lump sum will be paid out? Or do, do you think these bonds work differently in that holders of the bonds are constantly getting payouts? I think it depends on the bond. Okay, okay. And I don't know all the bonds that the city of Folsom holds, so mm -hmm. it's hard for me to speculate on that. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. That would be something interesting to look into, mm -hmm. actually, like, like what kind of bonds and, and things like that, because... Those um, would be good questions for someone who does the accounting side. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like, how, you know, what city mm -hmm. financing stuff looks like, because I imagine you have to work with, like, pretty large banks to, you know, get these, like, very mm -hmm. large sums of money. You know, for example, like, if you're getting money from... Uh, like a, re a residential real estate developer, like you're probably getting like you know tens of millions of dollars mm -hmm. in one lump sum, and so doing that cap yeah. would be interesting. Um, the oh the, the other thing was I, I wasn't sure what this chart was saying. I think the mm -hmm. um, it seemed like what I was saying was what is the year over year change in the um, general fund, the water and wastewater versus like the solid waste charges to like actual residents. Um, I actually don't know if like these figures are actually what people are charged, but uh, do you have any idea of what, what this figure might be? Yeah, I didn't see anything that obviously corresponded to um, anything in the budget because, like for example, um, I mentioned the um, water fund um, in um, enterprise funds mm -hmm. was like $12 million, mm -hmm. and that number doesn't really fit into $12 million very well. Mm -hmm. So I think it would make sense if that was some sort of annualized payment that the average resident wants to like you know pay. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, um, I didn't really find any materials, so I think that would be something that they should specify in this year's report. Gotcha, for yeah. The, for the next fiscal year. Yeah, that'd be awesome, because I actually remember seeing a pamphlet maybe uh, a few years ago where they, they actually kind of spelled out in detail how they mm -hmm. uh, saved a lot of operations cost for the, um, uh, I think like the wastewater treatment, for example. Mm -hmm. And so they, they originally projected like a larger increase in the monthly fees, mm -hmm. and they were able to get away with a much smaller increase. Um, so yeah, I, I love seeing stuff like that. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah. um, oh, there was this uh, line item in the revenue summary called licenses, permits, and VLF. 
It oh. is a vehicle licensing fees. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. So, so for example, if I register my car at like the Folsom DMV, part, does part of that registration fee go to the city of Folsom? Yes. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Do you know roughly what um, like percentage that no, is? No, I do not. Oh, okay. Yeah. No worries. That would probably fall out under the um, service fees um, item I mentioned, which is third behind um, property tax and sales tax. Interesting. Okay. Um, and then, um, do you think that uh, the transit occupancy tax uh, falls into, like, wh wh what do you think that might fall into? I would think it would fall under the same thing, service fees. Service fees, okay, yeah. okay, that makes sense. Because it's not exactly a property tax. Yeah. Like, you're, you're sort of indirectly charging based on the, you know, residents that actually stay, mm -hmm. not just the... I mean, functionally, rent. it really is similar to a sales tax, because yes. it's somewhere between the two, but right. um, I would imagine they would just lump it in and call it a service fee, because it's gotcha. a service, the city of Folsom housing unit. Got it, got it, got it, I see, I see, that makes sense. Um, and then uh, I, I was kind of curious about this uh, revenue before transfers in, but if I had to speculate, is this what you were referring to of the intergovernmental uh, transfers and things like that? Basically, one um, one fund transferring to another, or maybe like a grant or something coming from externally. Yeah, there, that's one element of it for sure. Um, but then the other element is also, for example, if the city decided, hey, we have a lot of money in the general fund, mm -hmm. we should supplement this fund mm -hmm. with some of that money. So this way we're not double counting that money that's really being raised elsewhere. Right. Yeah, okay. this is just kind of the pure sense of the revenue that comes into this fund. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay, that, that makes sense. So like, like a before and after of saying like... Yeah, pretty much. Okay. This is almost like the, the gross numbers. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, oh yeah, and then there's this uh, interesting chart showing from fiscal year 13 to fiscal year uh, 23, so obviously projecting a bit, um, where they show that the... Uh, sales tax and the property tax are very, very tightly coupled, mm -hmm. uh, all the way from 2013 through about 2019. Um, it, you know, some of like slightly above, slightly below, but you know, more or less it's like very linearly correlated. Uh, and then since uh, fiscal year 20, th that basically there, there's a gap where the property tax increases mm -hmm. pretty uh, linearly still, uh, but the sales tax kind of took a big hit, presumably because of COVID. But even after COVID, uh, it, it doesn't seem to have recovered to the same level. And it seems like the property taxes had really no, you know, material change uh, due to COVID. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting, um, I, I don't know, just, just kind of an interesting phenomenon. And yeah. the fact that, you know, were there some permanent changes due to COVID that changed this? Or, you know, was there maybe something just coincided with COVID mm -hmm. that we are not really taking into account? Because I think, honestly, using COVID as a scapegoat now feels like a bit disingenuous mm -hmm. um like I, 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 from, I, from like a business no. perspective and things like that obviously like the, the actual people who like suffer from covid and you know all the lives mm -hmm. lost like that, that that is actually like a, a real phenomenon not something to discount mm -hmm. but i i find it just a bit disingenuous when people say like oh well shopping habits have changed you know because of like covid whereas with every other piece of data it, it mm -hmm. seems like a lot of the trends have returned back to normal so why are we the outlier in this regard i would say sometimes that's a cliche for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, actually, one point I will make about this mm -hmm. is I would imagine that this like divergence between mm -hmm. property taxes and sale taxes um, is higher in other cities. And mm -hmm. that's probably because e-commerce effectively captured a lot more of the market mm -hmm. because of COVID. Whereas in Folsom, where um, we our rates were never really that high, we had a lot of people here who um, felt like they could still go out in public and weren't too like afraid of mm -hmm. doing so. Um, we still had a lot of commerce that was able to be generated. We did have a ton of businesses that closed in the city. We were mm -hmm. somewhat insulated. Mm -hmm. Like we were doing better than the rest of Sacramento County. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in other places, like 
citing Sacramento as a good example here, um, COVID definitely hit the city a lot harder and sales tax um, probably took way more of a hit. And then when commerce goes to be mainly based in e-commerce, that city's not capturing that sales tax revenue. Right. And um, I think that's probably part of the reason why it's kind of stuck is because a lot of people who got into the whole e-commerce thing stuck with the e-commerce thing and they don't shop outside as much. Mm -hmm. I know personally I don't shop as much as I would like to because it's just so much more convenient with e-commerce. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, I do think that um, a lot of the businesses here that were able to survive are still building back up and trying to attract more people. So mm -hmm. I would hope that this would you know, bring sales tax back up for the city mm -hmm. um, in future years. And that's also another policy decision to have with in terms of mm -hmm. e-commerce like sales tax. Like, you know, is that something that should be factored in? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, I guess, um, what do you think are the types of businesses that are, don't necessarily compete with e-commerce? Meaning like, what, what do you think is a way that Folsom could combat this without just kind of being like Luddites about mm -hmm. it, right? Because I, I think that is a, mm -hmm. it, it is a very earnest response and I'm, I'm very sympathetic to it, which mm -hmm. is this idea of like, hey, they're taking what, they're taking the sales tax that used to be here, so why don't we get mm -hmm. some of that back? Which is like, that's totally fair. Yeah. But, I, but I feel like that's such a steep uphill battle mm -hmm. that will never be won. Mostly because I, I think, you know, all, a bunch of consumers have made the independent choice to choose this better, more convenient, mm -hmm. you know, faster, less effort um, process. And so do you think there's ways that we can invest in certain businesses to make up for that loss without necessarily like directly kind of, you know, going in like a David versus Goliath situation? Um, honestly, I would say half of that is marketing. Mm. Because in my mind, the big thing that separates e-commerce from in-person physical commerce is experiences. Yes. So, for example, um, I think you, you have parts of the industry where it's like, you can't exactly order a massage on Amazon. Yes. Like, you need to physically go into a place, right. a okay. physical location. So those businesses, I feel like, were probably the most insulated from this, albeit, you know, with less people willing to go out. Mm -hmm. That being said, something like a movie theater mm -hmm. is a good example where I think the marketing and the framing needs to be changed to be more competitive. Mm -hmm. I would say that the Palladio here in Folsom has actually done a pretty good job of that mm -hmm. because it's less about like, oh, why would I go to a movie when I could stream it on like Disney Plus? Mm -hmm. And more about, well, you go to the movie theater and now you can buy beers, like you can go with your friends, mm -hmm. you can get popcorn and all that. Mm -hmm. And that's lots of great restaurants. They've too. really streamlined the experience of like mm -hmm. buying tickets and getting in. So they're steering into technology as a way to reclaim from technology. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and I, I find the, the just the design, it, it, it's like one of those, the few like very walkable alcoves yeah. in uh, Folsom. Mm -hmm. uh, there's tons of like shops and restaurants and stuff. Like all the restaurants are like really good actually. Mm -hmm. uh, tons of like, uh, uh, we went to that ramen place. Yeah. Was, like, that was pretty good, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's always just a fun time. Like, yeah. And they have events in the park. They're really billing themselves as family friendly. Like even the Barnes and Noble there has a coffee shop. Like mm -hmm. I think the city can do really well to try to attract businesses that are synergistic. Mm -hmm. So that way, like that shopping center has a little bit of everything. Yeah. So you can make a day out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I go to Sequest if you want. Um, whereas, um, you know, maybe the outlets is a little bit less competitive in the sense that it's a lot more physically just buying things. It's, it's just less, transactional. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm going here because the store happens to be located here. Yeah. Those shops are a lot more, I would say, based on the market, like more susceptible to being um, transferred out for people who are like more interested in e-commerce. Because like, you know, I could walk to Michael Kors, sure, but if I want to just like order a bag that I already know what I want, 
that, that is a great point. That. Yeah, 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 exactly. And yeah, that, that, that's so fascinating because I, I think the, the movie versus streaming thing is such a good point. Um, mm -hmm. Like I, I experienced this, for example, um, every year they re-air um, some of the uh, Studio Ghibli movies, yeah. like around the summertime. Mm -hmm. And I, I always go for that. It's like, I mean, I've seen the movies mm -hmm. before. Like I could totally just go on HBO Max and you know, stream it if I really wanted to. But you know, it, it's yeah. always nice. And you know, you end up like bumping into random people who are like also into the same things that you're yeah. into. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so like movies is one thing. Do, do, do you feel like there's an area where uh, Folsom is kind of like, I don't know, lacking in activities and, and things like that? Because it, 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 it does feel like a lot of the activities are just like, hey, let's like go out to eat, um, which is close. I mean, movies are you know yeah. kind of there, but uh, you know, it, it, it feels like in, in like bigger cities, there's there's almost like a plethora of things to, to do. Do you actually yeah. think that Parks and Rec and something like that like could feed in? Like if, if you had like a kind of better adjacency between like parks and businesses and stuff that you'd be like, oh, let's go to the park and like, then let's go eat something and let's like go here and that kind of thing. I would say that the way the city of Folsom is designed and laid out, um, Parks and Rec is already doing a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. um, like with the Johnny Cash Trail, for example, they've done mm -hmm. a really great job with integrating businesses and mm -hmm. making the bike trails like a lot more community friendly. Mm -hmm. um, I think that Parks and Rec already plays to a lot of the strengths of the city. So I don't think that they'd necessarily be the best avenue to address deficits. Um, like when I think of what's the difference between like Folsom and the city, why do people still go to the city? The big thing that comes to my mind is nightlife. Yes. Which that's a good point. Yeah. To the city's credit, they've done a lot of work revitalizing Sutter Street and making that more of a destination. Mm -hmm. But it's like a couple of blocks. Yeah. And it's kind of on the far side of the city. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other places like if you want food, for example, at where I am, which you know, being recently out of college, like mm -hmm. I'm not immune from wanting food yeah. at where I am. Um, like I can go to In and Out. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. um, I think a point, yeah, even though yeah. uh, I remember, like, we used to, mm -hmm. uh, there's, like, this coffee chain, coffee chain called, like, Death mm -hmm. Rose, and, yeah, we used to do these, like, Death Rose runs in, yeah. like, the mm -hmm. middle of the night, on, you know, on, like, weekend nights or something like that, and we just, like, you know, get coffee and, like, drive around, and it was a terrible decision, like, just based on the caffeine, but mm -hmm. it was, like, it was honestly really fun, because, you know, you're, like, a kid, and just, yeah, yeah I, I want to be up late, mm -hmm. and I don't want to just, like, sit in my house in dead silence. Yeah, which I will say nightlife can be a little bit hard for a suburb like Folsom because, you know, if you have a bunch of residential houses, mm -hmm. you don't want to have right next to that like a bunch of clubs mm -hmm. and bars, which are open late. Yeah. I mean, we might want that because we're younger. But, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I agree yeah. with you. I, I feel like mm -hmm. places like Sutter and Palladio um, yeah. and maybe even like the Folsom outlets to some mm -hmm. limited extent, um, you know, could, could be ways to bridge that gap. But basically, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say if you could, but uh, but you know, do you do you feel like there's other things? I, I mean, my personal thing that I would really love is um, a venue for like live music, because mm -hmm. I think that's a, a, another thing similar to movies where yeah. it gets people out the door, and then once they're there, then you know, then it ends up being like, hey, we're gonna go see the show. Like, do you do you want to get dinner before? Mm -hmm. Or like, hey, you know, we saw the show, and you know, let's like, get like a couple of drinks afterwards or something like that. So it, it feels like there's these category of um, events which are almost like this like hub and spoke thing mm -hmm. where like, you know, you go for the hub and then you end up like trying, you know, different yeah. parts of the spoke just, just because you happen to be there, mm -hmm. you know, just because you want to supplement the experience, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think actually you raise a good point. Um, Folsom does do a good job of having a lot of little places. Like, for example, there'll be these like really family friendly concerts in the patio mm -hmm. where it's just like a courtyard. That being said, we don't really have any sort of big venues in the city. Yeah. So that's another thing that people will go to Sacramento for, or even the Bay Area sometimes, yeah. is like, well, if you want to go see a big artist that's touring, or even a medium-sized artist that's mm -hmm. touring, you've got to really go out of Folsom. Yeah. 
um, with all the land that was bought south of 50 and the opportunity to develop there. Mm. I don't know what's all been zoned, but I do think you have the opportunity there if you really want to try to pull more away from Sacramento, um, and especially because there's basically nothing east of us until Tahoe. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if you had an area where you can designate and somewhat isolate from the residential area, mm -hmm. build a venue that could be for concerts, build surrounding nightlife, and, like bars and clubs. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be huge, like we're still a suburb at the end of the day, but yeah. um, I think of like, um, there's a concert venue in Wheatland, mm. which Wheatland's not a big city to my knowledge. Mm. But well, where is Wheatland? Um, it's kind of in Bay, okay. East Bay. Okay. Um, but they usually have a lot of concerts there, mm. and it's okay. like, I mean, that's the only part of the city that I really am ever around because I go to the concerts there. But mm. I mean, I live in Folsom, and yeah. I drive all the way to Wheatland to go to yeah. concerts. No, that's, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. It's like the, there's no actual dearth of like open space. It's just a yeah. matter of like choice and and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally would be super in favor of like indoor concert venues and things. I think indoor would be the way to go here yeah, because that's like year-round. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, that, that's actually a really good point. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that maybe like second or third, but I think mm -hmm. that that is probably the primary. Concern. I was saying year-round because of like you know if it's like raining, that obviously like, that's true. Changes things, and then the summer is like way too hot yeah. to do anything. Even at night, it's like still pretty warm. Mm -hmm. And then it's like the later in the night you go, like the, I think the noise pollution yeah. issue becomes yeah. more too. Like, if you have stuff in the middle of the day, I mean, like nobody really gonna care like, especially if it's on a weekend or something yeah. um so yeah. the problem is i don't know exactly how much land the city has and the cost for that sort of thing so this mm -hmm. might be a little too fine this guy but yeah um, i do think if the city is like, like a third like a 50 to a, maybe like a 30 to 60 person like you know concert bar venue thing would be like yeah. pretty interesting in and of itself. Even something to the equivalent of that block in Sacramento where Ace of Spades is. Yes. Oh, where yeah, I know like, exactly There's a couple about. of low-key, like, bars there. There's a restaurant. Like, mm -hmm. that kind of thing I can see a lot more being, like, Folsom vibe. Yeah. Like, family-friendly, mm -hmm. not super big footprint mm -hmm. in the city. Yeah. But it's enough to attract people and yeah. be a place of destination. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this doesn't have to be, like, mm -hmm. huge artists either. Like, I could, have, I could totally imagine, like, cover bands yeah. uh, doing a lot of stuff there. Where, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, there might be, like, a... I don't know, 80s night or something, mm -hmm. and you just have a band that's doing, like, hits from the 80s or something yeah. like that. And that. You know, that, that would be that's such like an innocuous, like, family-friendly thing mm -hmm. or something. And, you know, that, that could actually be an interesting thing, too, where, like, you, um, um, I can't even imagine, like, a non-alcoholic bar or something like that. Sure. I, I, I don't know why. Keep it family-friendly. Yeah, like, a non-alcoholic bar with, like, a, I don't know, some kind of, like, family-friendly, like, hits from the 80s mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think that would be super fun. Because, you know, when you're a parent, you're, you're like, oh, I want, like, to bring my kid to this, like, kind of... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, like you you want to go, but like you, you don't want it to kind of be like a bad influence sort of thing. Yeah. So, and there's nothing really about alcohol that I think like significantly enhances the experience mm -hmm. for certain people. I mean, I I'm, I'm mostly speaking out of like personal experience and like some of my mm -hmm. friends that I've talked to, but um, well, some people would definitely want it. Oh yeah, I, I think both options should exist. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm just saying like maybe that could be mm -hmm. a good compromise, like. An alcoholic bar can obviously serve non-alcoholic mm -hmm. things, yeah, uh, but yeah. the vice versa is like not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. So I think that could be an interesting like, hey, this night, you know, once a month is like non-alcoholic night or something like that. Yeah, and that way you could feel a bit more comfortable like uh, recommending that to someone or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, anyway, I, I feel like we wanted to say yeah, no, definitely a lot of interesting thoughts there. Um, yeah, so then there's this this other bar chart which I was a bit confused about. Um, so it says unsigned general fund balance, uh, and I imagine this relates to the whole debate of emergency funds versus uh, yeah. kind of uh, like replenishing 
that emergency fund versus like what's in the general fund, mm-hmm. like versus what the surplus. Um, do, do you know like what this is about? And um, yeah. yeah, so think of it as an additional buffer without okay. having to dip into your emergency reserves. Right. It's a good idea to have some portion that's like unassigned officially, oh, especially right. because as you get these quarterly reports, right. um, if you have cost overruns, mm-hmm. then you can use this unassigned portion to supplement what you've already agreed to pay. Interesting. Um, okay, that makes and sense. it's generally a good idea for a city to have a certain percentage in the unassigned fund. Mm-hmm. Um, don't quote me on this, but I want to say I think the city of Folsom's usually somewhere around fifteen percent unassigned. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, to my knowledge and based on this graph, it does seem like that portion has dipped in recent years. Hmm, interesting. It says in fiscal year twenty three, it was around around like twenty three percent, something like that. Okay. Um, it seemed like it dipped the lowest in fiscal year 10, which kind of makes sense, it's a great financial crisis. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, okay, that, that, that makes a lot of sense, but mm-hmm. th- this seems like a pretty high percentage, like 20, that, that means like one in, almost one in four dollars are unassigned to mm-hmm. anything. Um, is it pretty typical that that unassigned fund balance is like used in a given fiscal year? I or, think it depends on how your fiscal planning is in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't know enough about Folsom, seeing, seeing as we really have just been getting into this podcast recently. Yeah. Um, to say, um, my inclination is that we have really sound financial practices mm-hmm. um, because usually, you know, our figures are pretty consistent year to year, and we don't generally spend beyond our means mm-hmm. as a city. Um, that being said, it's not a bad idea to be over like a certain percentage mm-hmm. threshold in your unassigned funds because. One, it gives you more flexibility later in the fiscal year if you realize, hey, like we have room, we can fund these like pet projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, um, cost overruns are such a big concern that um, if you have to constantly dip into your emergency funds year, year after mm-hmm. year, then you're not really having financially sound practices year to year. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the last point I'll make on that too is um, it's usually, um, I would say, think about it like the city's liquidity. Like if you have a lot of cash on hand that you can spend in the case of a crisis or like because some opportunity comes up and you need a lot of money right away, it is a good idea. Like from mm-hmm. a business standpoint, like your liquidity is a measure of your fiscal health. Mm-hmm. So here having like say 23% uh, unassigned um, seems to me like it's a healthy amount. Gotcha. And, and it seems to be the case that because um, in fiscal mm-hmm. year 20, for example, there was a, you know, a, a sharp decline in mm-hmm. the um, unassigned fund balance, which, which kind of makes sense basically that you use that buffer yeah. Or these like one-time expenses, mm-hmm. or maybe setting up like testing facilities, or mm-hmm. buying like testing kits or masks or something like that. Well, I, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's really during these crisis years where you're like, oh, okay, this is like a one-time crisis year. We need, can't really afford to have much of buffer. We got to spend all the money we got. Mm-hmm. That makes sense as long as it's not like a year-to-year thing on yeah. your regular years. Yeah. Oh, but I, actually, I, I see what you're saying. Where mm-hmm. it's like if it was using the unassigned fund balance, the unassigned fund balance wouldn't be low in and of itself. Yeah, like for example, if you like start the year with twenty percent unassigned fund balance, yeah, that will always be true in the chart mm-hmm. because even if you spend all twenty percent later in the year, mm-hmm. you started the year with the unassigned right. fund balance. That would be an interesting overlay for this. Like, I'd be curious to know like what the unassigned general fund balance is like at the beginning versus the end. Yeah, like, that would be a cool like retroactive. That would be interesting. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and then there was uh, enterprise funds, uh, and I think we talked about uh, most of this. Uh, I didn't define um, a lot of these terms yet, mm-hmm. so if you had these questions in here, I would still ask them again. Gotcha. Um, I, I guess one question I had was uh, transfers out, but I imagine this is, again, between 
like you said, there's the general fund and the enterprise fund, yes. and so the, the transfers in and out refer to uh, the enterprise fund, you know, paying the general fund yeah, to exactly. like pay up, you know, some mm -hmm. contractor or some yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, and then I guess I was just kind of curious about the totals here. Like, mm -hmm. does it really make sense how they add up to the total? Oh, this one. Yeah. Um, really. No, I was looking at basically the stuff below yeah. the line. Um, yeah. I realized I did not define enterprise fund. Oh, okay, okay. So think of the enterprise fund as they're almost analogous to a business that the city runs. Mm, okay. So um, an example could be your transit system. Mm. Like, if you have a fund funding your buses, but you're still collecting fares. And effectively, you're running a business as a city. Mm -hmm. So um, that is what is couched in the enterprise funds. It's mm -hmm. not purely administrative, it's more services. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it can be selling actual goods too, but with a city like Folsom, it's gonna be service-based. Mm -hmm. um, the working capital is what Darvest is referring to, and that seems to be the same year after year. Um, why that is in the specific case of Folsom, I cannot say. That being said, working capital is basically a measure of your assets to your liabilities. Okay. So, for example, you can actually change what your assets and liabilities are year to year, which is more than likely the case here. Mm -hmm. um, but that probably, that number is staying the same because it's functionally a ratio, mm -hmm. a ratio. And if your assets increase by the same amount as your liabilities or vice versa, then that ratio is gonna stay the same. Mm -hmm. Now, they're very specific with the numbers in this. Mm -hmm. um, so it's possible that also this number just wasn't updated from year to year. Mm -hmm. I don't know how often they like keep a measure of that. But I wouldn't be surprised if the city of Folsom chooses to spend its assets um, in such a way that it also increases their liabilities, like building um, construction projects um, mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah, you have more debt now, but you also have more assets. I see. Yeah. So uh, could you clarify it? So, so the mm -hmm. slide I'm looking at is titled uh, Enterprise Fund-Water, uh, mm -hmm. and there's basically a few line items. There's program revenues, salaries and benefits, operating expenses, transfers out, debt service, and then a line, and then mm -hmm. uh, capital expenses. And so, oh, and then the, the bottom most line was called the working capital. Mm -hmm. And so, um, could you explain what would be some of the assets and liabilities in, you know, water, for example? Like, would yeah. the assets be the actual piping? Is it the wastewater treatment? Is it... I would say the, any of the infrastructure, so all the above. Gotcha, gotcha. But, but we, like, we buy our water from, like, slightly downstream of us, mm -hmm. correct? So, so what mm -hmm. capital, do, like... How do, you, how do you even assess like the capital for like piping and stuff? So whether or not water itself qualifies as capital, I do mm -hmm. not know that answer. I think that's a good question. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very like philosophical question. Yeah. Um, that's also opens a big moral ethical question too, depending yes. on the answer to that. But okay, um, without delving into that, yeah. um, I would say more of the physical assets. So the piping that you mentioned, um, mm -hmm. you can even go so far as to say the Folsom Dam is probably a oh, working capital. Okay, I see. Yeah. So. Interesting. Is it more of the big term like? You know, big projects and also infrastructure connecting. And, and so, uh, what would liabilities in this case be, right? Because if you're just providing a service with these like fixed yeah. cost things, right? Like it, it doesn't um, doesn't immediately strike. Okay, debt, uh, those sorts of things. But so, but how would um, how, so so would liabilities then be counted, or would salaries and benefits as well as operating expenses be counted as part of liabilities? Is that in the liabilities bucket? So salaries and benefits, I do not believe qualify as capital. Okay. So therefore, that is separate, and that's why you see a line here mm -hmm. separating capital from all this other stuff, mm -hmm. because they're they're both important to talk about from a funding and budgeting standpoint, mm -hmm. but they're physically considered like separate things. Gotcha. Okay. Like think of um, everything that's capital as like tangible assets. Mm -hmm. Think of everything that's non-capital as more of your soft assets, mm -hmm. like 
you know, you got to pay people to work for you. Mm. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, um, and then basically the same same question for wastewater, but I, I guess I'll probably skip these because it's kind of the same question over and again. Okay. Over again. Yeah. Um, uh, there's one project that I actually just kind of wanted to ask you. Like, do you oh. think this topmost item is the Grantline Road, uh, like? Yeah. Kind of overview. Honestly, it looks really good. Uh, yeah, I yeah. looked into it, um, and it's really specifically the portion they've been focusing on. Mm -hmm. um, thus far, has been between Bidwell and Curtis City. Ah, yeah. um, but yes, it is Grant Light Road and all the work that they've been doing there. So that's the Southeast, I think, Connector Project is what it's called. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, I was just kind of curious about that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess... Oh, there was... Uh... Yeah, there's this one column in the CIP project funding sources called uh, impact fees, and I was kind of curious, uh, do the impact fees get like charged to the residents? Yes. Okay, got it, got it, yeah. okay. I see. And so are those impact fees like one-time things, or are they just how it'll, like, like what uh, projected kind of value it's giving to the residents, and therefore they pay like a commensurate amount, or... Yeah, um, I really, I think it depends on the project. Mm -hmm. um, my understanding of the impact fees in Folsom is it's more of like a regular payment that mm -hmm. you'll be paying as a resident. Um, I think, for example, um, water is probably your water bill, mm -hmm. partly. Um, drainage, similar. Um, streets, I don't really know how that's paid, mm -hmm. but somehow it gets down to residents. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um. Um, actually, I think businesses pay too. On the impact fees. Ah, okay, that, that, that makes sense, because if you're like a restaurant or yeah. something, like your trash needs... Yeah, to actually, if, if you don't mind, um, yeah. I, I took notes on it. I want to double-check, because I don't want to say the wrong thing to sure. our listeners. Um, so, impact fees are... I define them here. Um, they're fees levied on developers. Oh. So, not residents. They're levied on developers to pay for infrastructure improvements related to new constructions. Fascinating. Okay. So, for example, like if you're putting up an apartment mm -hmm. building and you need to run water and power to it. Oh, I see. The developer will be paying those fees. So the city's not compensating. Right. Yeah. So you're you're paying like per faucet, per like toilet, shower head, yeah. all those kind of things. Exactly. Exactly. Because the city needs to know like, hey, how much water should we allocate and mm -hmm. buy? And well, then that gets yeah. into the, you know, infrastructure that we're talking about. Gotcha. gotcha. Working capital. I so. see. I see. Okay. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. Um and then I think on the next slide, I just asked about the different uh, funds. So you yeah. kind of explained the general fund and the enterprise fund. Mm -hmm. um, I can kind of intuit what some of these other funds are, but mm -hmm. I'll, I'll kind of go through them and maybe you could like give like a brief yeah, description. Take a shot at each one. Um, <laughs> so, so general fund just seems like all of your kind of routine uh, expenses, so the fire department, police department, mm -hmm. library, parking rec, et cetera. Yep, all and the administrative stuff. Yeah, uh, enterprise fund seems to capture the things where uh, Folsom regularly takes uh, takes in revenue from residents and businesses, uh, and basically treats them as their own sort of own separate organizations with capital expenses and liabilities. Yeah, the closest um, thing the city has to a business. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the the idea being that uh, because they have their own sort of like revenue streams and expenses, that having them as separate entities uh, kind of deconflicts a lot of the general fund. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the special revenue funds. So I imagine this is uh, maybe like one-time grants and things that you might get from outside of Folsom, or uh, like what would count as a special revenue in this case? That would count. Um, generally speaking, special revenues are for like very specific projects, mm. um, which are the one of the later ones is uh, debt service. Or... Oh, by the way, yeah. Sorry, here, here you want to just help me out. Thank you. 
Yeah, let me just uh, let me just go through all the different definitions okay. so I don't sure, say yeah. anything wrong again like I no. did before. No, it's okay. Um, special revenue funds are an account established by a government, in this case the city of Folsom, to collect money that must be used for a specific project. Ah, okay. um, for example, as you mentioned before, mm -hmm. um, there is a um, block grant from HUD um, mm -hmm. for community development. Oh, and that is one okay. thing that is applicable in Folsom. Like we do have that special fund. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next on the list was debt service funds, mm -hmm. which um, we've already talked about a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't need to go. Yeah, basically, the city has bonds, uh, yeah. paying the bondholders at some regular intervals. Yeah, yeah, regular service on it. Um, next was capital project funds. So those are used for specific um, financial projects, mm -hmm. um, used for either acquiring or building long-term, large-scale capital facilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would be the difference between like the special revenue funds and the capital? Funds, right, because it yeah. seems like there's some overlap in terms of, you know, if you get a grant from HUD, right? Like, does that mm -hmm. go into the capital fund or the special revenue fund? Um, the special revenue funds seems like it's a little more. You have the revenue up front, mm -hmm. or a specific mechanism for collecting revenue that goes to something similar mm -hmm. and related. Whereas capital project funds can be like, oh, I need to take a giant loan mm -hmm. and use that to build um, a wastewater treatment plant on the bay. Interesting. Yeah. Huh, I mean, that was pretty fascinating. Mm. Um, next up on there was internal service funds, which are, um, these kind of are intuitive once you hear it, but I feel like most people wouldn't guess it. Mm -hmm. um, so what that is, is it's basically an internal reimbursement fund. Mm. So for example, if I'm with Parks and Rec and mm -hmm. I throw an event and I pay out of pocket for it, mm -hmm. um, the city can then use that internal reimbursement fund mm -hmm. to reimburse me. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. I see. So it's, it's like, instead of like each department having its own like bespoke sort of way of reimbursing people, yeah. it's just like, okay, let's just have this one fund that's generally you know, mm -hmm. used to reimburse people back and forth. I think it largely functions as kind of an intermediary, intermediary fund. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so, so the, yeah. the other departments and stuff would like pay into that fund and then they can like reimburse. Um, I, I imagine it makes like yeah. invoicing and stuff like a lot easier. Probably. I think it's an accountability thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so instead of getting like a reimbursement from like Parks mm -hmm. and Rec, you would just get it from this specific fund. Yeah. That way it doesn't affect their budget and stuff like that, I imagine. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's like the bar on the bottom. Oh yeah, sorry, I'm not great with this. No, it's not good. Yeah, um, and then the last thing that was on here is fiduciary funds. Yes. And that is basically an account where the city has to act as the intermediary for other people's mm. assets. So, so would this be like Elliot or something who like kind of builds and sells homes uh, or? No, I think no. more like, um, for example, if the city has a pension. Ah, uh -huh, okay. Like it's held in trust for other people. Mm -hmm. Like the city itself doesn't own the pension. Yeah, yeah. It pays into it on your behalf mm -hmm. because that was a part of the like employment agreement. Right, like, okay. Yeah. There's like some like uh, investment bank or something that's like holding like, you know, all the assets and stuff, and they have some contract with the city. Yeah, and then the city basically pays your pension. Got it, got it. Okay, I see. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that was that was all those different funds, um, which I wanted to make sure I didn't uh, misquote any of them, because no, yeah, no, no it's somewhat complicated. Yeah, you know? yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a bit unintuitive at first. And mm -hmm. I'm sure, like, as, like, certain projects or, like, yeah. items come up in the city council meetings, we'll, like, get a chance to dig into some of them. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe like yeah. there's one, maybe we get to see a project that's funded by like the special revenues fund. And that way we can get like a more concrete idea of like, oh, okay, this is like not a capital project because of mm -hmm. X, Y, Z reason. Yeah. Um, yep, the other thing that was kind of interesting, I, I don't really put like a note um, here, 
but it was basically the the increasing gap, mm -hmm. uh, the, the increasing funding gap. Mm -hmm. And so <coughs> I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, even though this funding gap is there, um, mm -hmm. even because we saw the unassigned fund, general fund balance to be mm -hmm. like, so high, do you think that this would just kind of, you know, taper the unassigned fund balance percentage? Or, um, or does this even account for that? Maybe, is this saying like, even with like lowering the unassigned fund balance, like this is still like, mm -hmm. the deficit we're gonna run or? Um, so I'm gonna just start by saying this is um, relevant to people who have listened to previous episodes. And we mentioned that um, during one of the previous city council meetings, there was a um, point raised about, there were some unfunded needs that the city had not yet accounted for. Mm -hmm. This is those needs. Um, as you mentioned, oh. there are $20 million of unfunded needs. They're not necessarily negotiable mm. for the city. So um, like there were a couple of projects we discussed before what the city was required to pay. Mm. Um, I remember one of them yeah. was like, uh, for example, I think the- Overtime? Uh, yeah, the, the overtime yeah. for the fire department. Uh, there was also like the USDA just passed some like regulation for um, animals mm -hmm. and that you needed like a certain height of fence. So the Folsom Zoo, has to like redo a bunch of its fences mm -hmm. because it's like I think the rule is like not, you need like a nine foot fence and they have like an eight foot fence or something like that yeah. um, and you know those kinds of things are like super expensive because mm -hmm. you know obviously a zoo is like super large and um, you know you need them to be like a certain strength you know so that the mm -hmm. animals like don't escape and stuff like that um, so interesting but do you, do you know what some of the other uh, costs are and and I'm kind of curious like why isn't um, why isn't overtime taken from the unassigned fund balance or like other different funds and stuff like that? Like, you know, like the reimbursement, the, not the fiduciary one, but the internal mm -hmm. service fund? Um, I would say that minutia, I, I don't know if there's a designated place where that money comes from. Mm -hmm. um, I think ultimately that's probably what part of the unassigned balance goes towards, but the city has a couple of options to play with. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, um, I think the larger point you also raised in this is um, there is a growing funding gap year to year and that's not something that like really long term that that unassigned funding balance can cover mm -hmm. um, ideally what you'll see is when you have this gap between your revenues and your expenses um, the city will either try to raise its revenues to match its expenses mm -hmm. or it'll be forced to um, take on more debt or it'll be forced to make cuts mm -hmm. so um, what the city chooses to do is up to the city mm -hmm. um, that being said even though the amount of funding gap is not huge right now it's um, this fiscal year it's not even um, like in a million you can see here by fiscal year 28 it's projected to be about three million for that yeah. fiscal year yeah which, which is would, huge yeah 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 the fact that you're falling short by like three yeah. percent on a per annum basis and mm -hmm. i imagine it compounds over time yeah um, which in context for one of the things that we mentioned earlier mm -hmm. the operating budget for the um water mm -hmm. in the city of Folsom is 12. yeah so that's a fourth of that's the operating budget for water here yeah, that's a good point. Um, mm -hmm. I guess, are you, and this is more of like a, sort of, I don't know if it's a personal question, but it's like, I'm curious mm -hmm. of your opinion on it. Do you, do you feel hopeful that there is, that there are room for efficiencies in the city budget? Or do you generally feel like, uh, no, we have to kind of grow, I, I hate using the term grow our way out of this problem, but mm -hmm. the sentiment being that we need to figure out like, how to get more out of property taxes or mm -hmm. more sales tax revenue and things like that. Like, do, do, do you fall on one side or the other? Like, what's your view on that in general? I, I think you're kind of onto something when you say grow our way out of this problem. I think the city of Folsom has a huge benefit in that we are one of the places in California that's really growing. Mm -hmm. 
and adding a lot of businesses, adding a lot of new residents, mm. and that's going to really help both sales tax and property tax, which mm. is, you know, together 65% of our revenue. Yeah. So with all these new houses being developed, people moving in, mm. over time that's going to help. As more businesses get put up, that's going to help sales tax. Um, but beyond that, um, I think that the city will need to be intentional about what kind of businesses that they want to attract, as well as maybe considering diversifying their revenue sources. Mm. Um, but uh, it's kind of also at the mercy of if there's like another like you know pandemic level like disruption to society that disrupts one of those like revenue streams. Yeah. If that were to happen, then the city's going to be forced to have some uncomfortable conversations about maybe making cuts. Mm. Because if you're limited in how much new revenue you can generate, mm. then your only other option, you know, to not be running a long-term deficit and exhausting emergency funds is mm. to make those cuts. Interesting. I that's pretty fascinating because I almost fall on the other side where I mm. feel like we can th th there's probably like a lot of room for efficiencies. Mm. Um like I imagine with with water actually there there is probably some um I don't want to phrase this in like too technical of a way, but basically, I, I think there's like a a way to increase the monthly water prices mm -hmm. that would incentivize just enough people to make one-time decisions to like change their landscaping behaviors, mm -hmm. such that it saves so much water in aggregate mm -hmm. that you like save a ton on your water contracts, mm -hmm. you know, per year. Because it, it does feel like that that really is like where a majority of the water goes so do you think that's currently like a lot of waste in Folsom or do you think that people have already transitioned uh I, I think it's currently a lot of waste in Folsom okay. basically the the amount that you would save for example by like removing your lawn and like re-landscaping mm -hmm. is like not enough to justify the upfront cost mm -hmm. like you know let's say your water bill is I don't know uh 80 bucks a month mm -hmm. uh and you you know let's say take out your lawn and you start saving like 40 bucks a month or something like that if mm -hmm. you paid um uh, you know, let's say like a thousand bucks to change the lawn to something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that's that's like what maybe like twenty five months mm -hmm. or something to to really like recuperate that. If so, if you save like that exact mm -hmm. amount, you know, per per month. So for something like that, the city could easily create an incentive program saying, "Hey, we'll pay half the cost." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but I, I think mm -hmm. more long term, it seems like much more sustainable that you should disincentivize people from doing that in the first yeah. like instead of like bearing this cost after the mm -hmm. lawn's already been installed like i think the point and, and this is something i actually really appreciate about the area where you're currently at is like mm -hmm. it's a it's way more water efficient landscaping mm -hmm. so um i think raising the water rate i mean as uncomfortable as that is mm -hmm. would i think set the right incentives for people to naturally kind of converge on this more efficient mm -hmm. path and it would also kind of force the city to do it as well, because like if they're paying more for water, then it's kind of like okay, well, all the city landscaping that they do, they kind of have an incentive to make it more water efficient, stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I, I know this is like easy to write off in a year, year like this where we have a ton of rain and stuff like that, but yeah, I feel like That's it's years like this. Term term. Exactly, yeah, and I, I feel like it's years like this where it is, it would behoove us to make those investments mm -hmm. uh, upfront, so that you know when we do encounter a severe drought, we have. You know, a bit, like a lot of slack in the system, yeah. basically. Well, I mean, to use a bit of a pun of an analogy, um, the creation of a rainy day fund. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. You don't do that in a year where it's like you don't have resources. Like exactly. you have to pay into it when you have the money to pay into it. Exactly, you know? yeah. And then I also think that there's just like a ton of technology when it comes to um, solid waste, for example. Mm -hmm. So um, 
you know, like I, I think an interesting study that you could do is, um, you know, are some people comfortable with their trash being picked up like less frequently? Mm -hmm. Also, like, what is the, you know, could you have like a more optimal size of trash can? For example, like if you had like a larger trash can, could you just like pick up every other week instead of like every week? Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, uh, to give an example, mm -hmm. um, you can actually get an additional trash can in the city. Mm -hmm. We do that at my house. Oh, gotcha. Okay, interesting. <laughs> No, I'm good. Still got a little bit of that residual sickness. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, that being said, I do think we've, we've covered a lot of ground today. So yeah, that's not right. much more to say. But. Yeah, and uh, one other quick point that I want to make mm -hmm. is that uh, there's um, I don't know why I'm like plugging this like a random company, but uh, there's a company called like Amp Robotics that basically makes like robots for um, kind of like solid waste facilities. Um, basically, there's like a conveyor belt and. Uh, you know, typically you want to like separate the trash into like different buckets, mm -hmm. right? You know, so, so if there's like metal or something, you want to get it out. Um, there's like sharp objects or, you know, dangerous, or like batteries or something like that. You obviously want to get it out. Mm -hmm. And this is work that's like pretty hard for humans to do. And so the idea is that uh, you can basically like install these robots and separate out the trash much better. Mm -hmm. And you can actually sell that trash at a much higher like unit price because essentially the quality is so much higher. And because there's like less like staffing needs and stuff like that, you know, you could like run it at night when it, mm -hmm. electricity is cheaper. So I, I, I do feel like of the opinion that we could, you know, th there's certain efficiencies that I think technology enables us that I think it would be really useful for us to um, invest in right now. So that, because I, I, imagine, like, I, I imagine things like property tax are super <laughs> finicky. Um, the like appraising, you know, of your house is just like not really in the city's control at all. Um, yeah, again, like sales tax revenue hasn't really recovered like since COVID, and maybe if, if it's because of e-commerce, then um, that's not really a battle you're gonna win in the long term. Maybe you'll win it here and there, or like in certain areas. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'll just kind of leave it at that. But uh, yeah, this is a, a great episode. Honestly, I've, I've learned a ton from this. Um, so yeah, thank you for um, yeah, thank you for explaining. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, let us know if you have any questions about stuff we talked about. Cool. Bye. I was holding that in, man. Yeah. Oh, you're good. We made it. That was definitely the longest episode we've ever done.